0: A show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life. In this meditation, I invite you to become aware of the two types of consciousness that reside within the soul. Let us choose the consciousness of light over the darkness of past stories, the history that gets into our way. Let us now remember our connection to the supreme energy, the supreme soul, the being of light. For far too long, We have allowed the external forces to dictate our inner force. And at this time, I choose to get off the grid and step inside the heart to be myself. I choose to no longer be under the influence of what the world tells me my parents have told me, my spouse, friends, or anyone who has been a negative influence in my life. In this meditation, I stand strong in the original, eternal, imperishable worth of the soul. I, the being of light, the soul of power, I step into the heart, and I become a being of love, a being of light.
1: I am so grateful.
0: Welcome to America Meditating Radio. That was Karen Drucker and what a beautiful way to start the morning feeling blessed and taking moments to be off the grid with Sister Jenna's meditation on off the grid into the heart. Happy holidays, happy new year, happy new version of you and looking for drama or tragedy or disappointment or pain or grief or loss or even victory. No matter what, we're going to emerge from it anyhow. But to what extent are you focusing on what's healthy for the emergence to take place? I hope you and your family are safe, healthy, doing well, feeling a sense of optimism for your future, because that's really the option that we have. If we keep thinking about what's not working, what's not good, then that's sort of putting an axe at our own fortune, isn't it? We attract and create with who you. I know some of us don't like that. Even I sometimes don't even like it. But it has its purpose for existing. And at the end of it all, we've got to become masters of our own lives. We've got to become those who can take charge of ourselves and really begin to understand more how to heal our lives and heal our traumas of the past. Because with that energy... It carries with it a sense of complexity, when in reality, everything under the sun is very easy. But we make it complex and difficult. Today, we have a wonderful teacher with us, considered the teacher of teachers, Cindy Dale. She's an internationally renowned author, speaker, intuitive energy healer, professor of energy medicine, and author of 27 books about energy medicine, intuition, and spirituality. She has worked with over 70,000 clients and presented hundreds of seminars and workshops across the globe. She's also a favored teacher and healer in China, leading in-person and online classes, and has been published in over 18 languages. She also holds a fifth-degree Reiki certificate, the highest of distinctions in this healing arena. Sydney's latest release, Energy Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Chronic Illness, today we welcome Sydney Dale to america meditating radio hi cindy happy holidays
2: oh sister jenna i'm so happy to be here and happy holidays to you too thank you so much i'm hoping that
0: the year's ending for you on a positive note
2: you know i'm a fortunate person and i do believe in counting the good luck stars as well i've had a year of many blessings i actually had covid very early on and was able to move through it with a lot of grace. And so I keep, you know, kind of trying to be a blessing to people and Mm -hmm. feel blessed at the same time.
0: While you had COVID, and I'm so glad that you've recovered well, did you ever notice that your thoughts were going into the chaos and the fear of the unknown, or were you able to stay stable?
2: I was fortunate because I didn't actually get a diagnostic. My son in college and I were traveling for his baseball. So there really weren't COVID tests, and I just knew, you know, that whatever I was coming down with was something really beyond the normal flu. So I was able to keep my mind out of the diagnostic, so I moved through it in one or two days. And I believe in testing. I think it's important to wear masks. But I was able to stay centered, which is what you're really inferring for all of us. Mm you got to keep yes. your eye on the prize. You've got to stay in a positive light or any aspect of your life is going to be or feel worse.
0: Indeed. I've used the coin, the phrase from Governor Cuomo once it was known to us in the U.S. about the virus. He says it was a flu on steroids, and I just love that. Let's talk about you now in terms of your work, about energy healing, chakras, Your academic background is in English and philosophy, but what's inspired you to pursue energy healing and the study of chakras?
2: Well, I needed to explain what I was seeing to myself. I was one of those, as there are many, unusual children. I could see spirits. I perceived colors coming off of people. I saw balls of light, and it was only in my 20s that I took a class in which those were labeled as chakras. And these reams of light that came off of people were given the title of being auric field. So I was able to perceive all this. I knew that there was so much more to the world that everybody called invisible because to me it was visible. And so once I was up and running, I was able to study with healers and shamans in other countries as well as in America so it's sort of like falling in love with what I already believe is important. <laughs> I am one of the most fortunate people, I think, in the world to be able to still work with these kind of energies.
0: So what were you seeing? What was it like when you were young when you said you saw colors and lights? What was that like? Was it like you could see it with your two eyes or was it something beyond your two-eye perception?
2: Sometimes I saw it with my physical eyes and I gauged my behavior, Sister Jenna, by what it is that I was seeing. So with my mother was red. There was a certain type of broiling, boiling red that would come out of her hips. And if it had a little dark energy in it, I was going to skedaddle because I knew she was angry. Or when my dad came home from work and there was sort of a muddy yellow, especially around his stomach, which now I know is a chakra that has to do with work and other ideas and our sense of power. If it was brown, I sort of gave up for the evening because I knew he was just going to sit and drink his martinis because he was depressed. But other times when, say, one of my sisters would get excited about something, there'd be kind of a big splash of happy color coming off of her. So I gauged not only my behavior, but I was able to get a sense of where the person was or where my dog was. You know, and other times I would get dreams. Sometimes they would come true. Other times there were visitors in them. So I would say when I was young, I was probably about 50-50, physical eyes versus inner eyes. That must have been
0: hard for your family to even understand how you were and what you were going through. They must have felt that you were super evolved, no?
2: I don't think they thought I was evolved. (laughs) I think they thought I was crazy. (laughs) I remember one night I could see shadows across from my bed, and I knew the shadows were coming from the kitchen. And I had heard noises a few moments before I saw these shadows, like people moving around, the the kitchen door opening, and I heard these two men in there. Their, you know, kind of sounds of their boots coming into the kitchen. I could hear them talking. We had a railroad line right behind us, and there were hobos that would jump on and off all the time. My was never really particularly concerned, except that night I could hear them coming in to the kitchen and talking. They made breakfast. I heard the bacon sizzling. I heard them leave, and my first thought was, Oh, my gosh, they didn't do the dishes because you know what it sounds like when the dishes are being washed. <laughs> I ran to my parents' room, and I said, Mom, Dad, the hobos were in, and they cooked breakfast, and they didn't do the dishes. And my mom rolled over and just said, Will you just stop making things up? <laughs> and my dad was, <laughs> Oh, my. You know, we were white, wonderbread Norwegian Lutherans, so, you know, he grabbed my hand, took me into the kitchen, it's pristine, and all he said is, you really have vivid dreams. So I think they just thought I was odd. My sisters thought I was creative, but I don't think anybody really believed me except once in a while, my dad would say, oh, I think you're like my mother. She saw ghosts. So there were drifting phrases that would mm-hmm. descend on me like, oh, she's like that great aunt minyana You know, she was the crazy one, and (laughs) I had those kind of labels, Uh, which I didn't really get that I was odd. I just thought people weren't talking about what they were seeing. Mm. Were you ever scared? I was scared when there were beings that I didn't know what to call that looked scary to me, that were darker. I really believed that I saw angels, and Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think the mind can turn energies into, you know, kind of something that you relate to. So they looked like the angels that were in the Lutheran picture books, right? And they were good angels Mm -hmm. and they would have tea with me. But I could also see these kind of darker beings go in and out of my mother. And those scared me because when one of those was in my mother, she was frightening. And as an adult, having done a lot of therapy, You know, I've had some therapists say, well, you might be seeing aspects of her. Some believe my mother was a paranoid schizophrenic. I do believe she was mentally ill. And others might have said, yeah, those were something that were external. And, you know, a lot of my work has been about honestly trying to answer those kind of questions and to dig deep so that we don't need to be scared of whatever it is we feel or see. We can meet it with some sense of compassion figure out what it means for us. But yes, I was really scared when I saw the stuff that looked scary to me. Mm. I find it interesting
0: when you were saying some of them looked dark or like you couldn't describe, you know, what they look like. Because, you know, like you watch movies and you see like these, I don't know, animalistic, monstrous images. Like that's what comes to mind as you're telling me. Or are you just saying like it's like a dark shadow? And do you believe that, That's like everywhere. The dark shadows and the light shadows, are they constantly floating around and just some of us just don't see it? Or is it because maybe you are being called in this incarnation of yours to be able to guide many of us and to guide those souls towards their own freedom because it seems as if they are stuck somewhere here and still don't know how to move on?
2: I do believe that they are here. And they are everywhere, and they can attach to people, and sometimes can actually be projections or aspects of the living, but might also occupy their own dimensional space. When I was a kid, sometimes they had forms, right, like that sort of creepy, spider-like, gargantuan kind of form. Sometimes they were really just shadows. And I do believe it was very important at a spiritual level that I was able to perceive them because I work with those aspects with my Mm -hmm. clients. And they're not scary to me anymore. I believe that unless they're a projection of somebody's own, you know, issues, their own kind of place of being stuck, I think they're independent entities or forces. And sometimes we have to just plain protect ourselves. But in general, I believe that just like people, that they're lost or that they've been fooled and tricked into believing that they're negative or that whatever it is they would call God isn't going to love them or that they need to remain on this earth, say if it's a deceased being, a deceased soul, that somehow or for some reason they think they need to remain here in order to clear guilt or to protect family or because they're so bad they'd be doomed to hell. I think their motives for being kind of like what we would call shadows or darkness, are probably just as multiplex and complicated as why the living people act in different ways. Really, it's about an invitation for them to know their goodness. For clarity, many of us
0: believe, especially those of us that have Eastern heritage, we believe that if the soul doesn't complete its story of becoming an embodiment of love, then it comes back, To keep offering another chance and I don't mean attachment because I know there are two different worlds here attachment do you have attachment to me or do you love me so we are recycling anyway but we enter into a physical body what makes them different why is it that they're not able to enter a physical body and they stay in the realm of just the abstract or the spirit dimension do you know why
2: I think there's a lot of different reasons, and I also Mm -hmm. believe in reincarnation. I remembered past lives when I was a child, both my sons have as well. I think sometimes some souls that I have met with and discussed matters with that are in this kind of spirit veil, right, rather than entering into a body, do believe that they have a purpose to serve by being present. You know, and that might be more of a loving nature. They're guarding the family. They're looking out after somebody. Maybe they're tending to, you know, some part of the gardens of the life. But others of them, I think sometimes they don't know they're deceased. And sometimes they just really don't believe that they deserve to either have a body or to be fully on the other side. And sometimes I believe that they in order to remain in this in between, the only way they can do that in sort of a three-dimensional plane is to have enough dense energy to be low or slow enough to be here and so there's some that really literally plague the living whether they be animals or people to create harm to create bad thoughts to create emotional distress because then they can take that energy and that gives them enough weight or anchoring to be here those are the kind we want to release ourselves from and maybe help them in the course of that.
0: Suicide rate has increased tremendously in the last maybe 10 years, but even more so during COVID. Do you have any thoughts about what's the inner happening at a soul level when somebody performs that action or moves on from that? For example, What do the spirits say? What do you know when a person in a body continues to have these thoughts about committing suicide and when they actually succeed, basically I've often heard they don't get liberated. They still stay here for a while. They're like in purgatory or they're just here. And they have to kind of wait it out until it's time for them to be liberated from that dimension of the spirit dimension and enter a body to continue their journey to sort out whatever issue within the soul wasn't fulfilled prior to them taking their lives. What are your thoughts about this, the whole energy of souls and suicide? What's going on with them? Do you have an answer?
2: I have a few thoughts about that, mainly because I have worked with some of the souls who committed suicide there was about a year several years ago I live in Minneapolis where parents drove in to work with me the parents of youngsters who had committed suicide teenagers who had committed suicide and I think there's great agony that drives any age of a person to commit suicide sometimes it kind of catches I have a client who is a therapist in a young adult facility And he says that they don't even talk about the suicides, like if somebody commits suicide, because it will set it off. Because the youngsters with these deep feelings of loneliness or difference or indifference, you know, will say, well, that must be easier on the other side. Sometimes I think those negative entities encourage it as well. I've worked with people who have not died from suicide attempts who said they heard voices that were not their own driving it. So there's a lot that goes into those kind of actions and activities. Given my connections, I know that sounds like a funny word, to some of the souls that have left by suicide, I've seen several of them go through a healing on the other side and then actually become guides, actually help others to not do that or to feel more hopeful or to look at life a different way.
0: That is hopeful to hear. One of our friends' son just took his life. He jumped from a bridge in Houston. And I think one of the queries that I also have and I look into is every case that I've ever had to deal with or cover, those kids were the nicest people. And the families were all middle, upper middle class, if not super wealthy It just seems to take that particular class of folks. Now, have you seen a lot of folks that might be economically not very wealthy doing that a lot? Have you heard about that statistics? Because my question is, why does it seem to be some of the nicest people?
2: My experience has been the same, that it's more of the middle class to upper middle class, great families, Young people or older people who seem to have everything ahead of themselves, I don't see that kind of activity, the suicide or the attempt on that, unless it's accidental, like overdosing, etc. cetera, in more the lower economic. I think some of it is the pressure, the pressure of having to be perfect. I think some of it is if I have something happening inside that seems dark or threatening or scary or I don't love myself, I don't want to disturb my parents. I don't want to disturb everybody else who's nice with what seems to me to be my own negative or dark thoughts. About two years ago, I got a call, and I ended up working with the family of a young woman who had committed suicide just three days before. I felt her. I was at baseball. And the whole day in the stand, before I talked to her parents, I felt her distraughtness her sadness, her, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I didn't really mean to do it. I was just depressed. I was just unhappy about a relationship. And she came through with the parents and they could hear that. And in the course of working for a couple hours, she apologized. And she was also able to say, there is more light here. I do feel light. I just feel so bad for what I'm doing to the two of you. And they began to be able to hear her and their lives changed. One of the gentlemen began to be able to hear other spirits and decided to be a healer because he could hear spirits and he could help other parents who had children they thought were challenged and he could reach to those children. So for her, this young woman, she didn't so-called mean it, but she didn't know where to go with her pain. That's not a negative on the parents, but it does say that sometimes when we just want to kind of keep everything happy looking, we also need to be aware that there can be deep unhappiness in each other. So how do we create safe ways for that to be communicated?
0: Right. That's very good. Well said. Interesting where our conversation has gone today on air. (laughs) Well, yeah.
2: I'm glad we're talking about about this.
0: With so much happening during this particular time and with the virus and the cases increasing, I just want folks who might be out there listening to today's show to just really recognize I think one of the biggest things is in your suffering, sometimes you just feel like you're so alone. And when you talk about it, you realize how many people maybe share your same sentiments. You know, they just might not. Go that final step of, well, let me just end this part that I'm playing. Not knowing that still the soul carries the experience of whatever it's going through. It doesn't get erased when you take your life or not. So at least stay in the body where at least you have your commercial breaks of great joys so that at least you can just hang on until nature takes its course to say, well, let's relinquish this particular part. So it's just been coming up a lot, and I've been wanting to explore it more, offer it some you know, deeper depth, and help anyone out there who might be going through that. So let's talk about your new book, Energy Healing for Trauma, Stress, and Chronic Illness. Tell us about the book and why you chose to focus on these particular areas.
2: I work with clients, and I've worked with clients for (laughs) any number of years, and I began to observe certain patterns with trauma, which to me is stress that doesn't release from the body or the soul, and the body might be the subtle body as well as the physical body, and I noticed what was assisting people, what wasn't, and so I have really created a huge toolkit of both knowledge and subtle and practical techniques that can help people if they're carrying old trauma, new trauma, ancestral trauma. What was interesting about the book is Llewellyn gave me the go-ahead a couple years ago to write it, and I was very excited. And it includes the biology, the chemistry, the soul, the energetic pieces, everything. And I got what we used to call the galleys in April during the COVID lockdown. And I was told, if you want to write about the pandemic, you've got 16 pages. So I was working with the virus, with people's emotions around the virus, with the meanings of the virus. So I was able to add a lot about, you know, SARS-CoV-2, the COVID-19 in the book. So I feel like there was really divine guidance to not only when to put this book together, because I've been wanting to write it for 10 years, (laughs) and the timing on it just plops it into our lives, I think, you know, sort of like, boom, this can help us all right now. That's
0: wonderful. That's fantastic, actually. And in the book, you say that all challenges are energy challenges. Why is that?
2: It's kind of simple science, actually. Everything's made out of energy. Energy is just information that vibrates. Everything vibrates. My pillow is a pillow. My towel is a towel. My dog is a dog. My thoughts are the thoughts that I have because there's information that's defining, you know, those objects or those kind of constructs as what they are. But most energy is not physical. That's the stuff that we learn about in school. That's what most of us count as real. 99.99% of an object is subtle energy. It's the invisible energy. So, sort of simple to say, everything's made out of energy, so all problems are energetic. But the more complicated part of that formula is most of a problem, therefore most of the solution, is probably going to be subtle. It's going to be that stuff that's less audible, less perceivable, less measurable than what we kind of think of as real. So the book quantifies the you know what happens in the physical body when we're under stress why we feel certain ways but a lot of it is really about this invisible stuff that's impacting us and how to powered to make a difference if we were abused say when we were five or we're scared of covid and maybe are sick with it right now what can you do with the subtle energies not just the everyday knock on wood energies So when you say subtle energies, are you talking about those thoughts under the thoughts? So you've got like your
0: conscious mind and then you've got your subconscious mind. So the subtle energies are more being fed by your subconscious?
2: Yes. Subtle is more the subconscious is what's underneath what we're aware of. And it's very hard to get into that level. Subtle energies Mm -hmm. also are what compose like what we talked about before, like an entity, or an angel you know the beings that we can't see they're composed of energy but it's subtle energy in that it's very hard for us to quantify them we sense them or feel them or maybe get images of those kind of beings but it's very hard to prove that they exist subtle is also psychic that's the word I was trained Mm -hmm. years ago to use Mm -hmm. it's the psychic stuff it's what we pass back and forth you offer coffee with somebody you're in a great mood, they're in a nasty mood, or they're sad, or they're scared, and you leave they're happy, and you're sad or scared. That's subtle energy. That's the psychic stuff. That's what makes the world go round, but a lot of times we don't count it. If you're not in touch with it, you can be overtaken pretty easily by, right, say, sure. the feelings or the thoughts that are coming off of other people or beings, and think that they're your own when they're really not.
0: Well, what a fascinating discussion we're having today right before the end of the year. (laughs) In terms of the healing, whether it's you doing self-healing on yourself psychically to take care of something emotional or even physical, or it's someone turning to you to help them to get over it, can you give us maybe three simple steps? that an individual can take in starting the healing process.
2: Yes, I actually developed, it was given to me, to be honest, in a dream, a very simple practice that I go through, whether I'm going to work on myself or somebody else, And I believe that spirit and soul are different. People have different words. To me, my spirit is my divine spark. It's the extension of source, whatever word people would use. And it's immortal. It's eternal. It knows it's connected. So I always do a three-step practice for really anything. Even if I'm going to go pick up my car and I'm kind of a little worried about what the charge is going to be, and I want to, you know, kind of handle myself in a good way. So any interaction, I first affirm my own spirit, which is my own divine spark, because that's the place I want to come from. Then I affirm or acknowledge another person or being spirit or the spirit of the guides that are here to support. And then I deliberately surrender to what I would at this point call the greater spirit, or the oneness, I can often feel that presence in that third step. And I ask that it be in charge, that it allows me to come from my spirit and to interact with other people and their highest selves, if you would. That's the setup I always use. And sometimes people say their issues are their perceptions of their issues, whether they be emotional or physical. Sometimes it just starts breaking up right there. It's almost like you're expanding, and the problem that you're so focused on becomes smaller because you're becoming bigger, and there's bigger help. That's the three-step process I honestly almost always use when I'm in need or somebody else is in need.
0: I like that very much. How long does someone have to go through that process to see results?
2: Oh, it just so depends, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, at some level things will clear up or shift, maybe not clear up in a curing kind of a way. Once we get to the idea or the event or a trauma or a perception that is more causal. So, you know, in the healing world, we use that word a lot. What's the cause? What's the block? What's underneath everything? It can take a long time. It's the old onion skin thing to get down to that cause. But sometimes we find we've already done a lot of work on ourselves and sometimes with a client, I find they've already done a lot of work. So you just kind of land in that place. And then there's often really momentous changes, even physical, because it's like almost all the keys are lined up, you know, like a tumbler in a safe, like it's the final click, and bum, it all opens up. And there's always change. I believe that when you hold yourself in that place or help another do that, there's always change. You might just not have that tumor shrink. You may have to go have surgery on the tumor, but now you're more at peace with that process too.
0: I understand. Wonderful conversation online in terms of events, programs, activities that our listeners can get in touch with you.
2: I've been very online, (laughs) like most of us this year. I have an apprenticeship program. It's an eight-month study program coming up in February, and I've been teaching through the Shift Network. That's on my website, cindydale.com. I love the Shift Network. It's a beautiful way to reach a lot of people and offer some real affordable teachings. So those are the two biggest venues that I have coming up in 21.
0: Can you leave us with a website that will be easy for folks to get in touch with you?
2: I can if you remember. I spell my name odd cindydale.com, C-Y-N-D-I, for Cindy, Cindy cindydale.com.
0: Beautiful. Perfect. Cindy, thank you so much for
2: your wisdom,
0: your vibrant spirit, and wishing you continued success and lots of
2: love. Thank you for this very important talk. I'm very glad we got into the tough topics. Me too.
0: All the very best. Take care. How fascinating it was for us to... Actually, have explored this dialogue. I wasn't really expecting the conversation to go there, but for some reason, I think Cindy's energy commanded that. <laughs> anyway, for more information, please contact her at cindydale c y n d i d a l e dot com for more information and do let her know that you heard about us from the America Meditating Radio show. Now remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Please make the holiday a safe one, a happy one. Please. (laughs) It's in our hands to do that. All the very best. Here's Sarah McLaughlin, Instruments for Peace. Take care. Mr. Jenner